Well, good morning. Uh, good morning. Okay, there you go. I just want to make sure everybody heard me. <laughs> All right, so if you would open your Bible to the passage that Matthew just read, and we will begin there in, uh, in just a moment. The title of my message this morning is The Unadulterated Truth About Marriage. The Unadulterated Truth About Marriage. I don't know about you, but in uh, my Bible has, uh, where the editors have put titles to sections of Scripture. And so if I look at the top of the page here in, in, in my Bible, the, uh, there is the section that just a few weeks ago was preached from, starting in verse 17 of chapter 5. It says, Christ came to fulfill the law, right at the top of that. And then the section that began with chapter, verse 21, it says anger. And then after that, the next section was lust. And the one that is today, the two verses that Matthew read, it just says divorce. And so what I'd like to propose to you is that I don't agree with the editors on this one. This passage that we just read is not really about divorce. This passage is really about marriage. It's really about marriage. Certainly Jesus talks about divorce, but this passage is about marriage. And I want to share with you uh, a little bit about my title, The Unadulterated Truth About Marriage. Uh, why did I choose that word? So maybe a little play on words here. But if you look the word <clears throat> unadulterated up, and of course, you know, nobody carries around a Webster's Dictionary anymore. We just Google it, right? If you look it up on Google... Uh, the definition is this. It, it is unadulterated. It's not mixed or diluted with any different or extra elements. That's Google's English Dictionary from the book Ox Ox from Oxford Languages. So it's, it's not mixed or diluted with any different or extra elements. I thought that was interesting when you think about the definition of the word adultery. Because adultery has the idea of diluting or mixing something else in marriage that does not belong. And the idea here is if something is uh, unadulterated, it's not been corrupted by a substance that would lessen its value. As a matter of fact, the word adulterated actually means to introduce something that is of a lesser quality, like you might uh, uh, mix something in meat to make the meat go a little bit farther, but it's not really meat, right? So it doesn't have as much value. It, it lessens the value. And that's what adultery does in a marriage. It introduces something that is of a lesser value into what is meant to be pure, and unadulterated. So as we get into this passage, I, I, I'm a big fan of context. I always like to talk about what's the context? What are we, uh, what are we doing? What are we, what are we reading here? What does it appear in? Of course, the title of our series is Life in the Kingdom, but that idea is comes from this Sermon on the Mount. That's what we're in. But in the last few passages that we've read, Jesus has kind of been on a, a, a very a journey of speaking very directly, right? Wouldn't you say? He speaks pretty directly. 
in everything he says. Back up in verse 17 through verse uh, 20, he talks about how he came to fulfill the law. And when he talks about fulfilling the law, he says that there's a warning he gives against even uh, diminishing the, the, one of the least of these commandments. He tells us not to do that. He also talks about this righteousness that we need to have is a righteousness that must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees who were very diligent to keep the law. And then he moves on to talking about anger in verse 21 through 26. And in verse 21 through 26, he helps us to understand that, that anger is really equal to murder in the heart. It's like we've already committed murder in our hearts, not physically committed murder, but when we have anger, when we hold people in disdain or contempt, we think we're better than them and we think they're much less than we are. Then we have this anger that's like we've murdered them in our heart. And then last week's passage, verse 27 through verse 30, talked about lust. And here he, he takes lust and he, he makes it really equal to committing adultery in our hearts, which is a horrible thing to do. And then he moves from this into this passage today that has to do with marriage, and he talks about divorce. Now, the reason I wanted to talk about that context is because I wanted you to see the pattern that Jesus is giving. The pattern is that he's talking about the law here in the first passage that I mentioned, and then he goes on to talk about the working out of what he's saying. He's not doing away with the law, but what he's actually doing is he's going deeper with the law. He's not lessening it. It almost seems like he's making it harder, right? You know, we, we understand as New Testament Christians that we cannot become saved. We cannot have, our, uh, have an eternity in heaven by our deeds. Where salvation is not by our works, right? Everybody understands that. This means yes. Means no, just make sure everybody's with me, okay? Salvation is not by our works, and it's impossible for us to keep the law. The point of the law, Paul tells us in the New Testament, is to reveal our sin. And so we understand that we can't keep the law, and here Jesus goes making it harder. He's saying it's not enough to just, just uh, uh, not murder somebody, but you also can't be angry with them. It's not enough just to not commit adultery, but you also don't need to lust in your heart. So he goes even farther, which makes it seem like this is impossible. I mean, these standards are beyond anything anyone could possibly do. But Jesus is not trying to make it impossible. What he's doing is he's helping us. He's fulfilling the law. Remember, fulfilling the law means to fill it to the full. He's helping us to understand what the law is saying. You see, he's raising the bar to what goes on in our hearts. We can keep the law externally. We can go through the motions and keep these outside standards and not be right in our hearts. In our nation, we have a group of people that we elect, and they, we call them the legislature. And the legislature 
writes law. It starts out as a bill, and they work on it in committee, and then they bring it forth for a vote, and then it's voted on, and it becomes the law of the land, right? Well, we have a separate group of people that sit on a court we call the Supreme Court. Their job is not to make law, but to interpret the law, right? And a lot of times we, we like what they interpret, and sometimes we don't like what they interpret. But they cannot make law, but they interpret the law. Now, the reason I bring that up is because that's what the Pharisees and scribes were doing with God's law. They were interpreting God's law, and they were making application of that. But you know what, what, why we need to interpret the law properly? Because some people misuse the law. Some people take the law and twist it, or they try to find a loophole in the law. And when they find a loophole, they find a way that they can do something that we all know is wrong, and yet there's really technically nothing in the law that says they can't do it. And that's what Jesus is dealing with in this passage. You see, divorce was common in their day. It was very common, and it was a problem to the point where all you had to do was write a bill of divorcement. Now, we'll get more into this in just a minute, but let me explain what I'm trying to get at. In the New Testament, I'll give you a couple examples. Paul talks about, he uses a phrase, the spirit or the letter of the law. He does that in Romans chapter 2, and he does it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And when he talks about that, he's talking about the idea that the, the letter of the law refers to the rigid keeping of the rule. But the spirit of the law actually is speaking of something that goes deeper into the heart. Now, sometimes we will use those terms. We'll talk about the spirit of the law. And sometimes we use it in the wrong way. We kind of use it to lessen the law. It actually doesn't lessen the law. It makes the law more powerful. Let me give you an example that Paul used. He talked about, in 2 Corinthians 3, a man that was uncircumcised, which technically he was not keeping the law because he was uncircumcised, and yet he was doing the things that are written in the law. He said that was a true Jew. Someone who did the things, who actually obeyed God, yet they were not circumcised. Technically, they were a lawbreaker, right? But they were really from the heart obeying God. And that was the spirit of the law. That's the idea of the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. Jesus dealt with it this way. Someone came to him once and they asked him, what was the great commandment? In the law. And from Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 40, here's what he said. He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, most of us are fulfilled are familiar with the Ten Commandments. I hope you are. <laughs> the Ten Commandments are broken up really into two sections. The first section, the first four commandments have to do with our relationship with God. The last six commandments have to do with our relationship with other people. 
Really, number five is kind of a bridge between the two. Honor your father and mother. Because we learn our relationship with God from our relationship with our parents. But the first four really speak specifically about our relationship with God. And the last six, our relationship with one another. And what Jesus is saying is if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength, guess what? You're going to keep those commandments. Not because somebody told you to do it, but because you love God. You're not going to put other gods before him. You're not going to worship a graven image. Why? Because you love him. You're not going to use his name in vain because his name is holy to you. You love him. That's the way you are going to respond if you love God. If you love people, you're going to love your parents. And if you love your parents, you're going to honor your father and your mother. You're not going to covet. You're not going to steal. You're not going to bear false witness. All of those things because you love your neighbor as yourself. Does that make sense? So really what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount is he's taking us to that deeper level. Why do you obey the commandments? What's your motivation for obeying the commandments? Because we're not talking just about a rigid religion. We're talking about a relationship with God. And if you have a relationship with God and your obedience is born out of relationship, that's what life in the kingdom is all about. That's the difference between the spirit of the law and the letter of the law. Now, that's just my introduction, okay? <laughs> now let's get into this passage. Let's read it again, these two verses. Verse 31, he says, It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. The seventh commandment. The seventh commandment is Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. What is adultery? Well, adultery is just simply having sexual intercourse with someone who is not your, not your mate, not, you're not married to, but one of you is married to someone. So adultery is, involves breaking the marriage covenant. That's what adultery is. I know I've just said the obvious, but just in case anybody wonders. I remember as a child reading the Ten Commandments, and I read that, and I thought, oh, okay, sex outside of marriage is okay. Well, that's a different thing. That's fornication. But here he's talking about adultery. So the seventh commandment is you shall not commit adultery. But what is he saying? He's saying if someone divorces his wife and the reason, any grounds other than sexual immorality and she marries another, he's causing her to commit adultery. And whoever marries the divorced woman commits adultery. By the way, this goes both ways, men and women. This is not just about women, okay? Now, Jesus is referring to something when he said it was also said. He's referring to something that was written in Deuteronomy chapter 24. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. 
Deuteronomy 24.1 says this, When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes, because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, and puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another, uh, another man's wife, and the latter man hates her, and writes her a certificate of divorce, and puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife, after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Now, this passage of Scripture is not about a certificate of divorce. A certificate of divorce is mentioned in this passage of Scripture. But it's not about a certificate of divorce. What the Jews had done was they took this little phrase, a certificate of divorce, and they looked that she found no favor in his eyes, and he found some indecency in her, and then the second guy hates her. So for virtually any reason, they can, grant, they can be granted a certificate of divorce. You see, what they were doing was like a lot of lawyers do today. They were looking for a loophole. They were looking for a way to do what they wanted to do. Now, we need to be warned right here. Because as Christians today, I know you would never do this, but some people might look for ways to justify their sin. You're a Christian. You believe the Bible is true. And the Bible says something, and it seems to contradict the way you want to live so you have to find some way to twist the Scripture in order to justify and make it okay in your own mind for you to do that thing. Just be honest and call it sin. If you want to sin, you want to disobey God, call it what it is. Don't twist God's Word in order to justify your sin. Folks, God's Word is true. But people have been twisting it for centuries. It's not a new thing. We hear it happened today, but it happened in Jesus' day. So they were taking this, this law that was written really to keep people from divorce and from multiple divorces and from having all kinds of problems in their family. And they took this and made it applicable to this idea of having a certificate of divorce. And so Jesus said, it, has also, it was also said, this is what they say. They say, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. This was a common practice. I'd like you to turn with me, if you have your Bible or, or on your device, whatever you choose to use, over to chapter 19 of, of Matthew, because this is a, a passage that goes along with what we're studying. We'll come back to chapter 5 in a few minutes, but we'll probably flip back and forth just a little bit. But remember, chapter 19 has come after Jesus has taught where he stands, how he interprets the scripture on marriage and divorce. And so in chapter 19, beginning in verse 3, the Pharisees come to him. 
And they tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? You see that? For any cause. This was a controversial thing. But a lot of people believed that you could get a divorce if she burned the toast. You could get a divorce if he didn't look just right or he wasn't the one you, you loved anymore. You could get a divorce for virtually any reason. So here's the question. Can you divorce your wife for any cause? And here's Jesus' answer. He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So that they are no longer, but, they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together... Let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Now, who heard Moses in Deuteronomy 24 command anybody to give a certificate of divorce? But that's what they had done with the Word of God. Moses commanded it. Why did he do that if it's not okay? Verse 8. He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. I want you to let that sink in for just a minute. This was so common. This practice was so common in their day that even the disciples of Jesus, when they heard this, they already had in their mind, we've got an out if this thing doesn't work out. If, if this marriage doesn't work out, we've got an easy out because Moses commanded to write a, a certificate of divorce. That's all I got to do. If I don't like her or if, if she says I don't like him, all we've got to do is come up with this certificate of divorce, send them off, and they can go somewhere else. You know who I thought of when I, as I've studied this, as I was preparing for this message? I thought of the woman at the well. Do you remember the woman at the well? We're not told much about her life, but we are told the woman at the well that Jesus met, Jesus told her that she had been married how many times? Five times. Five times. She'd been married five times. Now the fellow that she was with, they didn't even bother to get married. She was just living with him. But she had been married five times. I would love to know her history. Why was she married five times? Was she victim of Deuteronomy 24.1 being misinterpreted? She, maybe she gained a little weight. Maybe she didn't speak just right to him. Maybe he just decided he liked somebody better. Why was she kicked out? And that happened five times. Five times. In those days, most women had nowhere to go. If their dad wouldn't take them back, where else are they going to go? They're going to have to find another man. If she had no way to support herself, and her, her sole support was dependent upon this man, he could just decide to kick her out, and then she's out of the house. She has to find somewhere to go. How else is she going to make her life living? 
How's she going to live? This was a cruel practice. Horrible practice. And they justified it with God's word. They took the law, the law of God, and they justified it. And this was so common that the disciples said, oh my goodness, it'd be better just not to get married. You see, they had the attitude that, well, I had an out. Now Jesus is saying, I don't have an out. How am I supposed to stay married with her if I don't like her anymore? How am I supposed to make this work if it's not meeting my needs? You see how selfish this is? How self-centered this idea was? And it was prevalent. It was prevalent. They were testing Jesus, though, because there were some who didn't agree. This was a controversial thing. Even though it was prevalent, it was controversial. It was an assumption that many had, but it was still controversial. Now, let me bring this into our day and time. New Testament. Most of us know, if you know much about the Bible at all, most of us know that the New Testament gives us two grounds for divorce. One Jesus just told us about except for the reason of sexual immorality. And some would say that's the only one. But then Paul says, in the case of abandonment by an unbeliever, then that brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. So most of us would say there are two grounds. There's one is abandonment by an unbeliever, and the other is your spouse has committed adultery. And other than that, there are no grounds for divorce. That would be the New Testament way of looking at this. Now, I want you to think about it for a minute. Have you ever heard somebody try to make an excuse as a Christian for why they're going to get a divorce? And they try to maybe twist the Scripture just a little bit? I've heard, I've been told, well, my, my spouse is just not really emotionally engaged with me. So they've really abandoned me. They've really abandoned me. What are they, what are they doing? They're trying to justify under the grounds of, of, of uh, abandonment. All, my, my spouse really is a little too flirtatious and, and has, has spoken to someone else from a different, from the, you know, this outside of our marriage in a way that's inappropriate. Maybe I could get a divorce. Or, or all kinds of things people can come up with. I, I heard once, well, you know, I know God doesn't want us to get a divorce, but I also know he'll forgive me. So I'm going to go ahead and do it. We love each other, but we are not in love with each other. See, we do all kinds of things to justify. But what has God said? God has said that marriage is meant to be permanent. What did Jesus do here in Matthew 19? He went back to Genesis. What did he do? He said, have you not read, have you not read, verse 4 of chapter 19, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? First of all, marriage is between a male and a female, not between the same gender. God made them male and female, and he said, Therefore shall a man 
uh, leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Then Jesus says, what God therefore has joined together, let not man separate. See, Jesus went back to the beginning. Jesus went back to the standard. He went back to Genesis. And he said, this is what God has designed for marriage. So now I want to talk to you a little bit about the kingdom and marriage. See, if you're a Christian, you're in the kingdom of God. You belong to Jesus Christ. And this is life in the kingdom that we're talking about. So what is the kingdom and marriage? First of all, number one, marriage makes two people one. Marriage makes two people one. That's that's right here back in chapter uh, 5, in verse 32, he said the same thing. Verse 32 says, But I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Remember our definition of adultery? Adultery is having sex with someone who is married to someone else. So Jesus is saying that if these people have a writing of divorcement, this certificate of divorcement, God doesn't recognize it. And they go marry someone else, and they're involved physically, sexually with that person, they are committing adultery. That's what Jesus said. Because marriage makes two people one. Secondly, marriage creates responsibility for the other person spiritually. Did you catch that in verse 32? The second part, he said, he makes her commit adultery. If the man divorces his wife and she marries another one, he is guilty of her adultery. We have a spiritual responsibility for our spouses. Husbands, you have a spiritual responsibility for the spiritual well-being of your wife. Wife, you have a responsibility for the spiritual well-being of your husband. Does that mean they don't have responsibility for their own sin? Not at all. But you can cause them to sin, and you can be guilty of that. They may still sin. They're guilty of their own sin. But you are responsible for the things that you do or don't do in your marriage that cause your spouse to sin. God holds you accountable. Number three, marriage is an exclusive relationship between one man and one woman. The last part of verse 32, he says, uh, he says, whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And over in chapter 19, where we looked just a minute ago, Jesus said it was, he made them male and female, and a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. That's the King James Version. Sorry, that's showing up in my head. He shall be joined to her. He shall hold fast to her. God has designed the marriage to be an exclusive relationship between one man and one woman. Number four, marriage was designed by God to be a permanent, committed relationship. Chapter 19, verse 7, he says... They said, why did he command a, a writing a divorcement or a certificate of divorcement? He said to them, 
because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. See, it was their hardness of heart. It was the idea that marriage was all about me. My spouse's job is to fulfill my needs. And if my spouse doesn't fulfill my needs, then I can just get rid of that spouse and get a new one. And that was not God's design for marriage. He said from the beginning, it was not so. So what's God's purpose in all of this? His purpose in marriage. Well, first of all, God created marriage so that man would not be alone. He said in Genesis 2.18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Marriage is a gift from God to us. The first thing in God's creation that he said was not good was aloneness. God gives us marriage so we won't be alone. Thank God for your marriage. Thank God for your spouse. You say, well, <laughs> I don't know, maybe the devil gave me my spouse. No, God gave you your spouse. Thank God for your spouse. Thank God for marriage. Secondly, God created marriage to reflect his character. The prophet Malachi Love Malachi. He, he, was, he was called at a very special time in the history of Israel. Israel had been in captivity in Babylon. And now they were coming out, coming back to the land. They were re-inhabiting the land. They were building uh, the walls at first. And, and they were building the city back. But the people were, were, were getting selfish. They were all about themselves. They were taking care of themselves, but they weren't building back the temple of God. They weren't honoring God. They weren't putting God first. They weren't keeping their covenants and their promises. So God sent Malachi to them. And Malachi was, was speaking to them about many of the things that they were doing, but one of the things he talked about was how they treated their marriages. This is what he said in Malachi chapter 2, verse 13 through 16. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altars, altar with tears with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards your offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? See, they were doing all the religious stuff. They were giving the offerings and then they were crying out to God saying, God, God why aren't you accepting our offering? Why aren't you accepting our worship? Why aren't you honoring us? And here's the reason. Because the Lord has witness between you, was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? See, God makes us one. He makes us one. And his Spirit is part of that union. Continuing, he says, And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit 
And let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord God of Israel covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. The Lord of hosts is saying, if you are not faithful in your marriage, it is a black eye for me. It's saying that the Lord is covered in a garment of violence. You see, our marriages reflect God's character. That's what God meant it for. In the New Testament, Peter tells men that if we do not live with our wives in an understanding way, considering her as the weaker vessel, that our prayers will be hindered. Don't think that you can treat your spouse like garbage and come to church and act like you're all great and holy and everything and God's going to hear your prayer. God's got a problem with you because He takes the covenant of marriage seriously. Seriously. This is a holy matter. It speaks about the character of God Himself. And God has created marriage to be a picture of Christ in the church. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 and 32. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. Now folks... I've tried to be like Jesus today. And by that I mean I've tried to speak directly. I don't want anything I've said to be misunderstood. Having said that, that does not mean that God does not forgive sin. He does. We have folks in our church, I have many folks in my, mar in my, in my, in my marriage, in my family, who have been through divorce. And I've seen God do some wonderful restoration. He does restore. There is, there is hope in Christ. But above all people on the earth, followers of Jesus Christ must understand the sanctity of marriage. It is serious business with God. It is serious business. And because of that, we can be forgiven, but there are consequences. There are consequences to violating this covenant that sometimes extend beyond the forgiveness. Doesn't mean God didn't forgive. But there are consequences that sometimes last for a lifetime and beyond. If you were here a few weeks ago when I preached last, I shared a little bit with you from my, of my story. And I'm, I don't have a, a bone to pick with anybody over the fact that my parents were divorced multiple times. 
God in his sovereignty has taught me a lot through that. My mother and my stepfather were married to each other three times. My real dad was married either five or six times. None of us really know. And so there were, there were repercussions of that. And without going into details, I'll tell you that those repercussions have lasted three and four generations. There's a heritage that happens. You want a good heritage? Or you want a difficult heritage? There are children and grandchildren that will be affected by your decisions, how you act within your marriage. Does that mean something to you? See, God hates divorce. He doesn't hate the divorcee. But he hates divorce. And the reason he hates divorce is because he is after, as he said in Malachi, a godly heritage. So, brother, sister, let's be committed. Let's be committed to passing on a godly heritage. Let's recognize the fact that God has given you, God has given me, our spouse. And none of us are perfect. Let's not be like the Pharisees who had hard hearts. The Jews who Moses gave them, allowed them the certificate of divorce because they had hard hearts. Hard hearts don't forgive. Hard hearts look out for me first and not the other person. Hard hearts don't love like God loves. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that your word is true. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus speaks to us directly, piercing our hearts with his words. Father, I pray that you would help us, help us, Lord, to realize the sanctity of marriage, realize it's a gift from you. Father, help us to love our wives and wives to love their husbands. Help us to honor you in our marriages, Lord, that you might give us a godly heritage. One day we'll be gone, we'll be with you, and there'll be children behind. There'll be grandchildren, there'll be great-grandchildren behind. Lord, let us leave a godly heritage for them that they would see in their own lives the values that they need to follow from your word. That they would be covenant-keeping people that love their covenant-keeping God and reflect his character in their lives. And Father, we just pray that you'd be honored in our response to your word today. In Jesus' name, amen.